Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Hey, I'm Sarah. When people asked me and my husband, Matthew, about our birth plans, our answer was simple. We're doing it at home. So this is a podcast all about our home birth journey. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. Today we have another interview style episode for you and it is with Debbie Schneider. Debbie is a CPM, a certified professional midwife, but not just any midwife. She's actually our midwife. So she was there to support and attend the birth of Maya and she was the first person to welcome her into the world and we've had the opportunity to grow a relationship with her and the rest of the midwives in the practice for the past year, essentially. And Debbie is awesome. She is a well of knowledge. She's been a CPM for the past 18 years. It's totally her life's passion and calling, which she decided to shift into at 44, which I think is amazing and inspiring that you can make that shift then at a time where a lot of people wouldn't think to do that. But we get into it, you know, we talk about home birth, the facts around it, um, the physiological things that happen, benefits to families who who do home birth, how you can research your options, and the motivations behind choosing a home or hospital birth. So she knows what she's talking about. Um, definitely recommend listening to this if you are considering home birth or you're just interested in home birth and want to learn more. So without any further ado, let's hop right into our conversation with Debbie. Hey, Debbie, how are you? Hi, Sarah. I'm good. How are you doing? Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. You are hanging out with Matthew and I, and we are um, very grateful for your time and taking taking time out of your day to talk with us. Yeah, it's great hearing your voice, uh, Debbie. You too. It's been a long time, and um, I I miss you guys, so I look forward to our last appointment together. Yes, yeah. yeah, so do we. Yeah. We, were, we were talking about this after our last appointment because we, we were like, oh my gosh, we, when is the next time we're going to see them? I mean, we, we were saying that we have to uh, set up some sort of just casual get-together so we can see you and you guys can see Maya because you, were a, you are a huge part um, of our lives and, and the experience of bringing Maya into the world. And for you, listener, you're wondering, who, who are we talking about? Who is this person? Uh, we're going to let Debbie introduce herself right now. And uh, Debbie, if you don't mind, just tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do. Um, well, I am Debbie Schneider. I'm a CPM, 
which is a certified professional midwife. And I've been working as a midwife now for, um, well, almost 18 years. And um, this is... This is my life's passion. Uh, I started doing this actually when I went to my daughter's third birth. She was having um, her third baby, and I told her at the time I actually owned an herb shop in the area and had become real familiar with all of the you know, the the more natural and alternative uh, modalities around. And I had heard about a couple home birth midwives, and I gave her their names. And she called them and ultimately started working with Constance mm. Khan, who is who I am, um, who I apprenticed with. And when I went to that birth, it, it truly was like the proverbial light bulb going over my head with like, ta-da, this is, this is what you, your life should be about. And um, so at that point, I immediately started trying to secure an apprenticeship with Constance. And um, that didn't quite actually work out as quickly as I had thought it would. Um, she had apprentices at the time, and so I started pursuing another local midwife, and we just could not, for some reason, connect by phone. Hmm. And so I ultimately was like, okay, is this really the direction I'm supposed to be going in? And I woke up one morning having had a dream of that one of Constance's apprentices had left. And that I should call her back. And so I thought, well, what the heck? I, I will call her back. And I did. And she did have an apprentice leave. Wow. And um, <laughs> I um, met with her and we decided, you know, that I would become an apprentice. And I put my herb shop up for sale. And two weeks later, I was apprenticing. And that was, wow. <laughs> that was like 18 or so years ago? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was um my grandson who is about to be 18 in like 2 weeks. Oh man. Um that was his birth. So yeah. Wow, that sounds like a very divinely orchestrated process. You know, you had all these signs and things that got into place and you you even had the opportunity to question it for a second and see if it was really what you wanted and then here we are. <laughs> and and yeah, what Yeah, well I Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I really believe that it was because what the work that I had done before that time frame, um, because a part of me, because I was actually like 44 at the time, and a part of me was, you know, really like, I wish I would have started doing this when I was 20, you know, mm, um, yeah. but then as I, as I really thought about it, it really was this great path because all the jobs I've had, I've really liked. I was an EMT for several years um, when we lived in Ohio. I loved doing that. 
I um, worked in marketing and advertising for many years with Mohawk Carpet and then with Trophy Dental um, in their corporate offices, and I loved doing that too. And all the while, I was actually, you know, studying herbs and things like that as well. So when I opened up my herb shop, I was very well versed in herbs and took a year-long course in herbs at that time with a local um, master herbalist and um, had a pretty good in-depth knowledge of herbs at that point. So it was really like a lot of the things that I've already done have helped me in other ways as a midwife, which, you know, it, it is kind of divinely led when you really think about it, because if I'd have had my druthers and started it when I was 20, I wouldn't have as much experience in other things as what I do. And so it's, it was kind of really perfect. And my kids were all grown at the time and I had nothing to, to prevent me from being on a schedule that actually has no schedule. Mm. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, we are, are very grateful for the path that you chose because um, for you listening, if you haven't guessed already, uh, Debbie was our midwife. And so, you know, we're, we're extremely grateful for all of the, the experiences that you have, the ones that, um, everything that, that has led to you being just the amazing person and, and wonderful midwife that you are because our experience with you was phenomenal and completely shifted I think for, for me personally, just completely shifted uh, my perception of birth and and just how incredible moms are. And so uh, I was very excited when we first, I, weeks ago, started talking to you about having you on the podcast because, you know, I, I, I'm personally excited to just share you with our listeners because you've given so much to us and I would love for for them to learn the things that we learned um, through you. So we are, we are pumped. Yes. Oh, that's very sweet. Thank you. Okay, so Matthew's actually going to step out of the room for just a second because this monitor here telling us what baby Maya's doing is going red across the board. <laughs> so um, he's going to hop out for one second. You and I are going to keep talking, but he'll hop in and we'll, we'll let him get back into it. In the famous words, I'll be back. Yes, 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 yes. Um, 
But I love what you said when you talked about attending your your daughter's birth. There was that light bulb moment. And I'm just curious, what else went through your mind or what else did you experience when you were were watching that, were witnessing that? Well, um, I had been to her previous births as well. Well, her first one. Um, so I was at the hospital with her first birth with her. And the difference between those two births was honestly really phenomenal. Um, the second one, her second baby, I was actually at home with the first one taking care of her so that she could be in the hospital, you know, giving birth. But the difference between that first and that third birth was just so big and so huge that I couldn't not acknowledge that. There was um, her first birth, she had a very typical birth. Um, she went into labor on her own, fortunately, and um, but then got some Pitocin because it just wasn't going fast enough for them. And ultimately um, needed according to the doctor, um, forceps, Mm. which because she didn't have an epidural at the time was extremely uncomfortable. And so it was just really one of those things of, and when the baby came out, he looked at me because I was standing there, I'm sure with a horror stricken look on my face. Um, Hey, he said, look, see, the, the, the cord was around her neck. That's why I had to do this. Mm. And I'm like, I don't know. You know, it just seemed, it did not seem normal to me. Um, and in contrast to my birth, was extremely interventive. Although my, my, um, my births were in the early 70s, and one of them happened in a hospital that they didn't even allow the dad into the labor and delivery room. And I had a better birth than she did, mm. you know, in, in 1995. So that told me a lot, honestly. And then um, with the third baby, she actually labored during the day for like five days she would have contractions all day long as soon as she was ready to go to bed they would stop she'd get a good night's sleep and on the the last day she kicked over into an active labor pattern and by the time we got to her house she was already nine centimeters and an hour later pushed the baby out who had the cord kind of wrapped around his body and had a knot in the cord and he was perfectly fine and she birthed him in such um, a powerful way that she wasn't afraid she knew she could do it it was really powerful and the contrast between those two was significant because with her second birth she actually ended up with an epidural at eight centimeters when she got to the hospital 
because she was so afraid that they would need to do forceps again. And she didn't want to go through that without an epidural. And instead of them saying, you know, don't worry, we're, you're going to be fine. You're already eight centimeters. They gave her the epidural. Mm. And, um, you know, so in contrast, this home birth was so amazing. The baby went directly into her arms. I mean, it was perfect. Mm. And the labor for him was perfect because he ha- he did have a knot in his cord, which can sometimes impede the ability of the, um, the blood flow during contractions. And occasionally babies will not do very well with that. But usually that is when they've augmented the labor. So she was having a normal labor. If she'd have gone into the hospital with that one and her labor stopped at night while she was there, they would have given her Pitocin. Mm-hmm. And he probably would not have done well with that because the contractions are longer and they're harder and they're closer together and he wouldn't have had that nice time to recover from them Wow! in between. And so, you know, the body is very, um, the intention of labor is for both the mother and the baby to do well. Mm-hmm. And so if you allow things to happen and unfold in the time frame that is the wisdom of the mother and the baby, it usually works out very well. Yeah, I mean, wow. So I heard you describe a little bit. I've kind of gathered what some of the physical differences are in the body between a home birth and an assisted hospital birth and, you know, assisted with intervention. I'm, you know, assuming Pitocin, epidural, and even a potential C-section. What are those main physicality differences between the two experiences? You know, like what does one woman experience who goes through a normal, um, natural home birth versus a, a hospital birth? Okay. Um, Well, let's start with the hospital. Um, Generally, when you go into a hospital, um, at least in this area, you are walking in and they are hooking you up to monitors, two of them wrapped around your abdomen, one to measure contraction activity and one to um, listen to the baby's heartbeat. And then usually there's a blood pressure cuff attached that goes off about every half hour to an hour. Um, And in a lot of hospitals in this area, you are still hooked up to IV fluids. And so you are essentially tethered to the bed Mm. and not very um, capable of moving into easy positions to accommodate contractions. And so it's very uncomfortable um, for women in the hospital setting to find comfortable positions to where they can still feel like the the staff can still feel like they are um, having a good um, 
script on the baby and the contraction activity. And because when you move positions, it sort of changes the angle the baby is in relation to the monitor. And so it then becomes sometimes difficult. The nurse has to come in and adjust the um, the the belt that's monitoring mm-hmm. the baby or monitoring the contraction pattern or both. And that is disruptive to their workflow. And so it does seem to to be that most nurses on the L and D floor, the labor and delivery floor, like women to have an epidural because they are then in bed, they can't get up and they're comfortable. So they're not making any noise and they're easily monitored and they can monitor them actually from the nurse's station um, just by, you know, looking at the monitors that they have there. Um, They don't even have to get up to monitor the baby at that point. Conversely, at a home birth, the mother is up and walking around. She is eating and drinking at her leisure. Um, In fact, we're encouraging eating and drinking because this is hard work. Labor is essentially, in my mind, it's kind of like a marathon. You sort of have to prepare for it and treat it as such. And you have to be taking in nutrition during the course of that to be able to make it to the finish line with enough um, stamina to actually push the baby out. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, you have to keep your blood sugar levels at somewhat normal ranges. And so we are encouraging a lot of food and drink and um, movement. Movement is key in helping the baby move through the pelvis and um, actually get into a good position to for the fetal ejection response to happen to where the, the baby is low enough and the mother feels that good urge to actually push. And... Um, that usually is very difficult to happen without movement during labor. Mm-hmm. It's very uncomfortable for the mother at the very least to not be able to move. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so she gave birth on a birth stool, nice upright supported squat position. And, um, you know, we do bring birth stools to all the births. A lot of moms will use them. Some of them will, give birth in the pool if they've decided to do a water birth. Very rarely do I have a mom who chooses to actually be on the bed to give birth. Yeah, I was, for myself, I was super uncomfortable lying down in the, in the early stages with the, the contractions. It's just moving and being in the water and, you know, being on, on hands and knees. And that was just way more comfortable like lying down just felt like I just had to sit there and endure and it kind of took away um like my ability to engage in this situation you know I felt like I didn't have much say in what was going to happen to my body if I was just lying down and letting it do what it was going to do to me (laughs) (laughs) exactly Exactly. Labor is something that women actually have to surrender into Mm -hmm. 
because your body is is taking over really um once you move into an active labor pattern you really don't have a lot of control over that Mm -hmm. and so you have to surrender into it which is very difficult to do if you're also having to surrender to your environment as well Mm -hmm. and having people walk in and out of your room and you know constantly wanting to do something to you or talk to you while you're having contractions it's very disruptive and if you then also can't move it's next to impossible and so that's if you're already in control of your environment in the home setting that is really what allows a lot of women to be able to relax so that they can surrender fully into their contractions and because they don't have to play um, cop as to who's coming in and out of their room. They, they know who's in their house and feel comfortable with them attending their birth and it, it is their home. So they have complete control over that. And then they can just relax and let their body do what it's trying to do. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I feel it's a very vulnerable time too. I mean, pregnancy in and of itself, I feel like you, you enter new stages and phases of vulnerability, but now here you are at like where the veil is getting, getting thinner, so to speak, you know, you're moving into this Absolutely. next stage and that vulnerability depending on what you said, the environment from the lighting to the smells, to the people present, if there's any sort of fear, you know, swirling around, all of that contributes to, to the experience. Yes, I completely agree. It is, it is highly, um, it is really important for women to choose where and with who they give birth and who they invite to that process with them because you're you're exactly right that that level of fear that is really kind of prevalent in our culture surrounding birth can affect a mother's labor if there is someone in the vicinity in the room that she is you know emotionally tied to that is bringing that fear with them she will feel it and it will impede her, her ability to progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember we had a series of conversations with you as we were figuring out who's going to be on our birth team, because, you know, mm-hmm. just of what you just shared, how important it was to have the right people there for, for, you know, the mom and for the family. And we actually did an episode on it where we went through like the reasoning behind why we selected our birth team and so we, we absolutely agree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, um, switching gears for a second, um, what you've witnessed as the, how a home birth in particular connects mom and baby together. Like what are, what about home birth creates the space for that connection to be potentially fuller and richer and more intimate than in other settings? Well, um, at home, 
um, once the baby is born, the baby goes directly into the mother's arms. Mm -hmm. And that is where the baby is going to stay for the next hour to two hours, skin to skin with the mother. And what I see with this process is that it is so physiologic that I really don't understand why the hospitals aren't doing it because mm. it just makes it so much easier. There are a couple hospitals in the area that are starting to do this now, but predominantly it is still, they want to take the baby away if there is anything and they definitely want to cut the cord. Mm -hmm. So for me, I want to leave that cord attached and as the baby is beginning to nuzzle and at the breast and breastfeed and moving around the belly, those are all indications to the uterus to contract and release the placenta. And because the cord is still attached, that's also another signal to the placenta that the blood flow it doesn't need to be happening anymore. All the, the baby is keeping all this blood now and not sending it back once the baby is born. And so the placenta is going as a signal to the placenta, it needs to detach as well. And so those two factors, the placenta is usually delivered very quickly and very efficiently. And there's less bleeding, there's less trauma to the baby. The baby is has good oxygenated blood during that whole time. And um, then once the, the placenta is delivered, the baby is still with the mother and the placenta and the baby are just sitting next, you know, the baby's mm -hmm. nursing, the placenta's in a bowl next to the mom at the bed at this point and nursing continues until the baby is done. That first hour is super, super important for that mother bonding baby time. Um, the baby needs to be at the breast. It needs to have that warmth from the mother. Um, the mother heats up perfectly to keep the baby warm enough. So if the baby is a little cool, the mother's body temperature heats up appropriately for whatever the baby needs. That's and wow. so she's the perfect place to keep the baby. And that initial colostrum that the baby gets is exactly what it needs for having come through the rigors of a labor. Mm -hmm. And so keeping that together, that mother-baby bond is super important. The baby can only see from about the breast to her face. And so what the baby sees in that first hour or two is, is the mother. And they, they will look at each other. They communicate significantly through that eye contact. And that is an important aspect of the mother bonding with the baby and being able to smell her baby. Mm -hmm. um, you don't really need hats unless your room truly is just freezing cold. 
Um, but you don't really need a hat because you've got the mother who's keeping the baby at the correct temperature. And there are tons of pheromone, pheromones that come off the baby's head that the mother needs to smell so that she does bond at a very basic level with her baby. And the hormones that are released from the breastfeeding also are bonding hormones. Um, Dr. Michelle O'Dont calls them the love hormones, and that is really true. And the baby gets it through the breast milk as well. So there's this initial bonding that happens, and if you can leave it interrupted for as long as it takes for both mom and baby, they're both better off for it. Wow. I had the biggest smile on my face as you were describing all of that because I was just going back to Maya's birth and thinking about you know, her little head and smelling it. And, you know, she hasn't worn a hat until yesterday. I think this is the first time she ever wore a hat because it's starting to get cold (laughs) out. But my go-to when I see her holding her is I just smell her head. And it's, it truly Mm. is a love bonding experience. (laughs) What came up for you when you were, um, when you were describing all that is just how perfectly created and evolved know like Sarah your body is Mm. and for for the hormones and the pheromones and the regulating of temperature and the communication between baby and and placenta and like everything is just so so perfectly aligned and just happens so naturally when you let it Mm. yes and I agree you know everything that you said so we know this, right? We know this connection that's created and, and everything you listed from the, the the benefits hormonally, all that stuff is going on. And yet, what what is your response or what do you say to the person who claims home birth is a reckless or selfish or even dangerous decision? You know, that's something we got a couple of times from different people. And it's it's just so fascinating that you would get that. Um, reaction from people given everything you just said that we know happens? Well, you know, honestly, modern obstetrics is not that old of a science Mm. at this point. Only really late 1800s is really when modern obstetrics started. And so it is still pretty new. And when they first when obstetricians first kind of came into being, their whole goal, honestly, was to bring birth to them and take it away from the midwives who were the ones mainly managing birth. And so um, in order to do that, they had to figure out how to make it a pathological event and not a normal life function. And they've kind of, they did a, a really pretty good job of that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Dr. DeLee in the 1920s basically said that he thought every woman should um, have a um, episiotomy and forceps, and it would make birth much more efficient. And Dr. Williams, who had, was writing the book, Williams Obstetrics, up until that point, disagreed with him completely and 
then Dr. Williams died, I think somewhere like around 1926, and Dr. DeLee took over the editor position of Williams Obstetrics and changed the terminology. And um, basically, that's still the book that's being printed today. There's updates in it, but the language is still pretty much the same in that it is a pathological process now as opposed to a normal physiologic function of the female body during her childbearing years. It's, um, there should be no reason for that really other than what it did was it served to bring hospital into her birth into the hospital rather. And that made a big difference obviously to their, to their pocketbooks. And so once they started getting women into the hospital, one of the ways that they got them in there was for pain relief. So scopolamine was a big part of birth in the um, 30s through the 60s, which scopolamine is a twilight sleep drug that kind of puts women into... um, well, into a place that they're not really caring what's going on. It's not that they're not feeling it because they're not completely out. Mm-hmm. It is uh, twilight sleep means that you can be given direction, but you're not going to remember anything. That and is so, so wild. My mom was actually a twilight birth baby. Like that's my, my grandmother had. And I was, I was shocked one when I found out what it was. And then that that's how my mom was born. I just, that blows my mind. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, my mom, my mother had all five of her children in the hospital with twilight sleep. And so she she doesn't remember any of her birth. Wow. She just knows that she felt really um, beat up wow. after her birth. And so they must have been hard. Mm-hmm. That's, that's all she knows. Now, conversely, her mother had my mother at home hmm. on the on the kitchen table, <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> which is, you know, basically because the doctor was coming to the house at that point um, in the 1930s, the doctors would make house calls. And so he put her on the kitchen table, which seems like a terrible place to have a baby, but <laughs> Ultimately, I think it was the easiest place in that the cleanup was easier and it was a good height for the doctor and it kept her on her back, which, you know, was a good position for the doctor to see things as opposed to, you know, having the mom on her hands and knees or standing up or, you know, whatever other position she wanted to be in. So. You know, that's kind of how quickly that's happened, you know, from my mother being born at home to all of her kids in the hospital on drugs, then to me having both of my children naturally in the hospital to my daughter having home birth. That's Mm. kind of, it's kind of coming back into, you know, full circle. Well, I'm, I'm curious kind of uh, going on that line, how would you like to see the perception of home birth? change in in the u.s well honestly i i would like 
to see just birth being normalized again. Um, and where a woman chooses to have a baby is very individual. Um, some women are still going to choose to think about the hospital as a better place, and that's fine. But I think birth itself needs to become normalized. Um, it is still a very physiologic event, and doctors need to think about it as normal and that not every labor is going to happen in exactly the same way for every woman. That is, it's not something that they can control in that way. And they've tried very hard to do it and it doesn't make things better. It has increased the cost. It has increased the, the morbidity for both mother and baby, which is um, injury to mother and baby. And our maternal and fetal mortality rates are terrible for a, for a industrialized nation. I mean, we track behind some third world countries in terms of our morbidity and mortality rates, which is terrible. We're throwing so much money at maternity care and obstetrics that we're not getting better outcomes for. So I think we need to take it back to birth is a normal event and let's go from there. Um, and where a woman chooses to have a baby is, obviously I would like them all to choose to have their babies at home. I mean, the reality is every, every woman who is healthy and having a normal healthy pregnancy could have their baby at home. The need to transport happens somewhere about maybe 10% at that time. So 90% of healthy women, women can have their baby at home. Um, and really, if we wanted to bring our obstetrical costs, our maternity care costs down, that would be the recommendation mm -hmm. is that women, healthy women should be having their babies at home. Right. It goes back to what you were saying. Um, the, the doctors early in, I think you said the, the, the 20s, um, making birth more efficient was the goal. And it's maybe right. that's maybe that's not the most um, powerful route to take. Maybe birth isn't meant to be made efficient. It's to be made normal, like you're saying, and, and natural and and loving and powerful. Um, it's not so, like a bodily process. A normal bodily process is not to be made efficient. Like that term just sounds so um, misplaced. Well, yes, it is. I mean, it's like it. It is like every other part of a woman's um, physical existence. Birth is a part of that. That that is her whole. The whole idea of becoming, you know, having your period and being physically capable of carrying a baby, that's your body's function is to get pregnant and carry a baby and give birth. And most women are going to be able to do that just fine without a doctor making sure that they're dilating a centimeter every hour or two. Birth is a, 
it's a psychological event as well. Mm -hmm. And women need to feel supported and empowered during that process so that they come out on the other side of it. It is really a transitional time frame for women and for dads as well. And women come out on the other side of it if they've been given the opportunity to to do what their bodies in their own body's way to be empowered to be really good mothers and fathers, you know, are blown away by their wife's ability to, to give birth and to function in that way and how powerful it is for the couple to bond that way. And then also, you know, it's just, how do you become parents unless you feel empowered to be able to do that by giving birth? Hmm. It's, it all revolves around the same thing. You know, it, it always kind of makes me sort of wonder why in the hospital, everything is so um, regulated and, Suddenly, they're ready to discharge you, and now you are suddenly capable of having enough um, brains to be able to care for this baby when they didn't think that you could give birth to the baby. That's fascinating. And you couldn't care for the baby in that 24-hour, 48-hour time frame that you were in the hospital either without them checking on you every two hours to be sure that the baby and you were fine. But now suddenly you're going home and, you know, now you're perfectly capable. It it just, they can't take away all that power and then suddenly expect you to have it when you leave the hospital. It's their whole goal. Just like my goal is to empower the mother and the father and to have that, be a unique experience for them. And I also wanted to say, too, that dads should very definitely, and I know you did, Matthew, is um, having that um, that skin-to-skin bonding time with the baby as well. Yeah. It, it really changes the way dads feel about their children. It, it does something to them as well, having the baby skin to skin within the first couple hours after a birth is just as important for the dads as it is for the moms. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I could, I could talk for hours about everything I experienced (laughs) in our home birth, but going back to one thing that you said, uh, watching Sarah and being completely inspired and um, just in awe of Sarah and, and how she showed up so powerfully and beautifully throughout the labor and and the birth itself and being able to experience every moment of it because we, you know, we, we did it at home and Maya was born in our bedroom. And then just like you said, the the skin to skin afterwards. And, um, I, I remember that first time picking her up and holding her and having her lay on my chest and it was all just incredibly beautiful. So, um, (laughs) thank you for bringing those memories back up. It was, that's, that's amazing. (laughs) Well, you're very welcome. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious then in your experience, what you see as the defining factor 
between home birth or hospital birth? Why do what makes someone who hasn't made their decision yet on where they're going to give birth ultimately choose one or the other? What do you think is the biggest motivating um, force? Um, I don't know if there's only one force at play. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I think sometimes fear plays a role on both sides of the fence. Absolutely. Some women choose the hospital because they're afraid of birth and some women choose home birth because they're afraid of the hospital. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so what I really like to see is when families are coming to choosing home birth after they've done their research and looked at both sides and went, okay, we really feel like the home setting is the, is where we want to be. And the research backs that up. And it's not a thing of um, fear one way or the other. Those are the families that tend to have the best birth mm. because they're coming at it from a standpoint of they've, they've looked at their fears. They've kind of acknowledged where those are and then have moved past that into research and education and come to the idea that at home is truly the best place for them to be. And those women tend to feel the most confident and most comfortable mm -hmm. in a home setting. Yeah. I mean, that makes total sense because they, they feel empowered by the information. They feel active and engaged in the process. They feel like they trust themselves and the people around them to support them in their decision. All of that, you know, comes into alignment. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Can, um, can you describe, I'm sure there's so many, because how many births would you say you've, you've witnessed in a midwife capacity at this point? Um, I am pushing 700 Holy now. Holy wow. Wow. <laughs> okay. So that's a lot. So I would never expect you to just choose one and that's the one, but could you share maybe one or two, um, really poignant, really impactful top moments that you've had in your midwife journey? Um, oh, you know, there's been so many. I know. Um, I mean, it could be our birth, but that's totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, your birth was, was really very special, actually. Um, you know, the, the care that you took in creating the birth team for yourselves was really inspiring and phenomenal. And the way that I saw your birth team come together at the birth was really great. Uh, you know, everybody had their role and they all did so good in doing it. And you were so supported from every level that, I don't get to see that a lot um, where people have like a community that will support them in their decisions and come to the home birth and really show up in the manner in which they did. Mm -hmm. And for the mother to be as comfortable with 
many people in the room. Mm -hmm. Because you had a larger birth team than a lot of moms choose. Yes. (laughs) And um, they each had their own specific thing that they were there to provide. And you did so amazing. I mean, it was just such a, a beautiful birth with everyone doing exactly what they were there to do. Um, and the level of joy and um, just astonishment in the room was was so good. And the baby was welcomed into your community immediately. Mm-hmm. It, it was a very special birth. Hmm. Yeah, it was special for us as well. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, well, Debbie, as we come to an end here, um, I'm wondering if you can share some home birth resources um, or natural birth resources that you recommend uh, any families that are listening right now um, that you recommend for them to go check out. Well, if they're um, looking into like research on home birth, um, I would say to look for anything by Hensi Goer. That's H-E-N-C-I, and her last name is G-O-E-R. She's written a couple books, The Thinking Woman's Guide to a Better Birth, and another one, Obstetrical Myths versus Research Reality. Um, that one, that book is a little more um, research-laden, um, but The Thinking Woman's Guide is a very easy-to-read book that points to the research but doesn't share all the research. Okay. Um, those are really good books. She's got some articles out. She's, she's brilliant. Um, they could, uh, if they're looking for books, um, anything by Ina Mae Gaskin yep. is also a good source. Um, and in general, um, there, there's also the, um, the research that the Midwives Alliance of North America put out at, in the British uh, Medical Journal back in, I think it was published in 2001, um, that talks about the research from the home birth midwives, the CPMs in um, the United States mainly, and the outcomes from that. And it wasn't published in a United States medical journal because they wouldn't accept it. So oh, wow. they published it in, in the British um, medical journal. Interesting. Hmm. Well, it's beautiful. Well, we will put links yeah. to all of that in the show notes for this episode. Um, so you can go to diahpodcast.com, uh, find this episode, and, and in there you'll ha- we'll have links to those authors and those articles. And um, I was curious about this question because, you know, when we were doing our research, it was challenging to find uh, resources. Like there's a lot of different things out there, but um, I'm happy, Debbie, that you could help the families right now who are in the research phase find some specific things that can help them make a powerful, um, empowered decision for themselves. And, um, before we go, I, I want you to have a chance to let people know where they can find out more information about you and your practice. Oh, okay. 
Um, well, they could go to uh, dawninglife.com, okay. which is our um, website for for the practice, um, Dawning Life Midwifery. And, you know, they can feel free to contact us through the website. Great. Well, we'll, we'll put a link to that there, too. Okay. Yep. Awesome. Great. Debbie, thank you so, so much. You are so knowledgeable. I feel like we could go on for days and like have gone on all these different back roads and tangents of all the stuff that has to do with home birth. Um, you've, you've been so amazing through our journey. You know, like we mentioned earlier, you've really become like family to us. We got to build this amazing relationship with you over the, the course of the past 10 plus months. And, um, we're, we're excited for um, for baby number two experience whenever that whenever yeah. that happens. Not tomorrow, <laughs> but um, you know. Yeah. Well, I am I am really looking forward to you guys having baby number two mm. and to um, you know maybe Matthew catching. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was the plan last time, but things are a little different. So I'm uh, I'll get my uh, my my catcher's mitt ready. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Debbie, thank you so much. You are awesome. We really appreciate thank your you time. Thank you, guys. It's always good talking to you. Does your father know you're listening to this podcast? Well, when you're done, why don't you stop by and check out a show that is 100% dad-approved. Dadages. Hi there. I'm Chad Higgins. If you're looking for useful insights and practical advice you can actually apply to work, family, education, philanthropy, and just life in general, check out Dadages. That's D-A-D-A-G-E-S, wherever you listen to your podcasts.